Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles this morning for one last time to the book of Proverbs. We are ending our series uh, in this book this morning. You may remember way back in July when we started, I noted that Proverbs is not just a book for short, pithy life advice. Rather, Proverbs is a book that reflects and magnifies the character of God. And this book is a gift given by God to His people to show us the path of, of wisdom that we might know blessing in life in His presence. And my prayer is that over these months, this book has deepened our knowledge of God and has also encouraged and challenged our lives to be more and more in line with His character and His will for us by the power of His Spirit in Christ. But we come to the end of the series this morning, and we have one last passage to look at. You remember in Proverbs 1 through 9 that the book opened with Solomon's appeal to his son to choose wisdom, not folly, to marry lady wisdom, not lady folly. And here at the end, in chapter 31, Proverbs brings us to a description of the blessing of marriage to a wife of wisdom. It's a fitting ending to the book. And yet, this chapter is not merely metaphorical. It describes wisdom lived out by a godly woman. I liked how one commentator put it. He put it this way. He said, The wisdom presented throughout the whole book of Proverbs is now gathered up in this one passage and presented in a beautiful and breathtaking but practical presentation of women, excuse me, of wisdom embodied and in motion in the life of this woman. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 are some of the most beautiful verses in this book. You wouldn't know this from the English translation, but in Hebrew they are an acrostic poem. 22 verses, each one beginning with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, starting with Aleph and going through Tav. And so this chapter is is a poem going from A to Z, if you will, suggesting a, a full picture of wisdom lived out in real life. If you would, follow with me as we read Proverbs 31 verses 10 through 31. This is the word of God. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and she will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, and with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. 
She makes bed coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. And God, how we thank you for this passage of your word. We pray that your spirit would be with us this morning, that we might be drawn to you, that your wisdom might be worked out more and more in our life by the Spirit of God and to the glory of Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. In many ways, Proverbs 31 is unique in this book. Proverbs has largely been addressed to the royal son as Solomon has has called his son to love wisdom and listen to counsel, to fear the Lord that he might receive blessing and long life in God's presence. But now the, the focus shifts to a description of the character of a wise wife. And this passage has been a blessing to many women throughout the history of the church. It's also taken on a bit of a life of its own at times. I was reading an account from one single woman who wrote about her experience uh, in online dating. She uh, joined an online Christian dating site and began talking with different guys. And she noted that just about every single guy she contacted early in their correspondence would say, So, are you a Proverbs 31 woman? (laughs) After a few rounds of this, she started responding by saying, I am a Proverbs 31 woman. Are you a Proverbs 1 through 30 man? (laughs) Well asked, well asked. Uh, Turn it back uh, on us. Now, the main point of this passage is that an excellent wife who lives out the wisdom of Proverbs is more precious than jewels and a blessing to all around her. But I would encourage us this morning that just as men and women alike should check their hearts in the light of the wisdom of Proverbs 1 through 30 so men and women alike can look at the character that is described here and see the wisdom of Proverbs in it and apply it to our lives even as it is applied slightly differently in these passages. So here's our game plan this morning. I want us to work through these verses and I want to look at the blessing of the wise wife, the character of the wise wife, and the heart of the wise wife. And we'll start in verses 10 through 12, where we find the blessing of the wise wife. You'll note right there in verse 10, the first line begins with a question. An excellent wife, who can find? She is more precious than jewels. Now, we might read this question and think, well, what's the use of this description if a woman like this doesn't actually exist? Is is Solomon, uh, or the author here, saying that this woman is an ideal, but we would never really find someone like her? Well, no, I don't believe that's the point. 
In fact, Proverbs 12, 4 already told us that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, suggesting that she can be found. And, and Proverbs 19, 14 said that the prudent wife is a gift from the Lord. And we can find Scripture pointing us to a real-life example. You remember the story of Ruth, that beautiful story of the Moabite woman who turned her back on her homeland who to follow Naomi, to serve Naomi's God, and to gather diligently to care for Naomi? Well, she is described with this very phrase or word, the excellent woman. In Ruth 3.11, Boaz says to her, I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townspeople, all the people in the gates, if you will, know that you are a worthy or excellent woman. It's the same Hebrew phrase here. So the point of this opening question is not impossibility, but value. Such godliness as is described here must be searched for. But when it is found, when a wife like this is found, she is not just as precious as jewels. She is far more precious than jewels. Verse 11 describes more of the blessing of such a woman, that the heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of of gain, for she does him good and not harm all the days of his life. This is such a beautiful description. There's a picture of the confidence and the safety and the flourishing that comes from having a partner that you can trust because of their character and their competence. Read through Proverbs 31 and what do you hear? Character and competence. Her character tells you that she is aiming for what is right and good and does it with diligence and grace and wisdom. And competence, you find that she is able to do what she accomplishes or seeks to do wisely and well. Character and competence are the qualities that stand out in this chapter, and they are the qualities that enable someone to trust. I was uh, struck as this week I happened on a a white paper put out by the U.S. military on the nature of trust. And the first line of the white paper said this, trust is when one person makes himself vulnerable to the actions of another because he believes in their character and their competence. There it is again, character and competence. And you can imagine, can't you, the difference between a, a soldier who knows that his blind spot is being covered by a veteran who has demonstrated his worth and his skill and his relationship versus the soldier whose back is being covered by the new recruit shaking in his boots who's never been in battle before and the nature of trust. Well, that's just a a very small picture of what we hear here in Proverbs 31.11. Because of the character and the competence of his wife, her husband is able to say, my wife has got this. She does it well. I don't need to worry about it. I am freed to focus on the calling God has given me, knowing that my wife will do good to me and multiply the flourishing of my house by her efforts. The blessing of her value, of her character, of the trust with which she engenders. And why and what is the result? She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. This is the blessing of the wise wife. But I want to spend most of our time on verses 13 through 27. 
where we turn next. And this, these verses describe the character of the wise wife. As you read through these verses, the primary quality that emerges again and again is that of diligence in different areas of life. In verse 13, she seeks out wool and flax and works with willing hands. I love that phrase because we all know people, don't we, who are extremely hard workers, and boy, do they love to grumble and complain their every step of their way through it. That is not the character of the wise wife. She works with willing hands, doing the work she's been given to do for the provision of her household. Verses 14 and 15 add, she goes far to obtain food and then rises early to provide food for her household. You note that she provides it for her household, including her maidservants. And if you're thinking about that, you might think, well, wait a second, here's an upper-class lady who has servants. If I had servants, I'd let them do all of the work. I wouldn't be doing the work to feed them. Well, what's going on here? But the point, as one commentator puts it, is that this wise wife does not view her resources as license for personal ease. She doesn't say, oh, I've got all this, now I'll just relax. But rather, she sees them as blessings to use responsibly. By providing food for her servants, she frees them to maximize their time and their productivity in other ways for the further benefit of her household. In verses 16 and 17, she considers a field and buys it, and then she plants a vineyard in it and harvests the crops for the furtherance of her household. You note that while her focus here is still on her household and its blessing, she is not limited in the scope of what she is willing to do to bring about that blessing. Buying, selling, investing are part of her routine and her focus. In other words, she doesn't stop with the the minimum requirements done, but as verse 17 puts it, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong, tackling the responsibilities and opportunities given to her for the greater blessing of her house. What a beautiful description. And again, if I can pause here and, and ask all of us, men, women, students, to let such a description of godly, wise character challenge us, to dress ourselves with strength and to make our arms strong. Can we let this verse challenge us and encourage us with what God has made us to do and to kill that mindset that makes our bones rot, that the goal of life is to avoid stress or to get our obligations done as quickly as possible so we can relax and just do what we want to do? No. Will we all consider what it looks like to dress ourselves with strength? and make our arms strong in the responsibilities and opportunities God has given us as the path to joy and blessing and flourishing. So she prepares food. She works with wool and flax. She considers a field, plants a vineyard. Verses 18 through 25 talk much about clothing and all that she does to equip and prepare her household and to dress them. We read that she, in verse 21, she is not afraid of snow. Of course, I'm not afraid of snow either. I've been waiting for snow. I'm longing for snow. 
But our different, we, we have different reasons for it here. She's not afraid of snow. Why? Because her household is well equipped. They are dressed in scarlet. And the point of the scarlet here is not extravagance, but rather the quality. Her household is dressed with the, and prepared with quality provisions so they don't need to worry about snow. In fact, verse 25 says that she laughs at the time to come. We might need to comment on that because Proverbs and the book of James both tell us that we should not have foolish arrogance that we know what's coming and it's going to be just fine. That's not the point here. The point is, as Proverbs tells us, she has foreseen danger and risk and prepared for it. And having prepared her household and equipped them well, she does not need to worry about what might come. But you notice that she doesn't just make sure her family is fed and clothed. She goes on, we read in verse 24, to sell extra garments to merchants, bringing in profits. And why? Is that to to get to retirement more quickly so they can have bigger, better, and funner things to do and more money to spend? No. Verse 20 tells us, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. In other words, she has well understood what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 28. Remember when he says that we are to labor with our hands so that we have something to share with those who are in need? And this wise woman has adopted that view as she works not only to provide for the house, but to share with those who are in need. Proverbs also has warned us that one who withholds from the needy invites his own poverty But the one who gives ends up getting more in return. And the generosity of this woman reflects the wisdom of Proverbs and her understanding of this responsibility from the Lord. Verse 23 says that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. This verse too might require some comment because in our context we might think, oh well great, so the husband's just out hanging out with the guys sitting around in the gates and and the wife's doing all the work. No, that's not the point uh, of this verse here. To sit in the gates was to lead in the community, to judge difficult matters, to oversee and lead the people. And the point is that the wise wife's husband is freed by her competence and diligence to fulfill his responsibilities among the elders of the land for the good of the land. We have a picture here of husband and wife mutually supporting together, fulfilling God's calling to love and to lead in the land and the home for the good and the flourishing of the land and the home, just as they were created to do. Well, we've had this focus on diligence and all the ways that this wise wife carries out her work. But in verse 26, we find that she's not just a hard worker. We should not have the impression of this woman as sort of the drill sergeant mom who orders everyone around for maximum productivity. But nor should we have the impression that this woman is focused on job and career and work and and money, but absent from her kids. Because no, in verse 26, we read that the excellent wife opens her mouth with wisdom. She teaches the ways of God and speaks what is wise, looking well to the ways of her household so that her children rise up and call her blessed. Think about how many times Proverbs has exalted a mother's instruction 
as something that should be treasured, valued, and kept. And here this mother is faithful to teach her children the wisdom of the Lord and to hold it out. And not only that, but the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. We might say, using the words of Colossians 4, that her words are full of grace, seasoned with salt. In kindness, they call her household to wisdom and grace as well. Now, what would be the natural result of such a woman of character and competence? Well, verses 28 to 31 tell us, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband praises her, and all the people publicly sing her praises in the gates. All around her witness her godly character and benefit from her diligence and generosity and kindness, and they respond by giving her fitting praise. What a, what a tour of godliness and wisdom we have in this passage. As I was thinking about this passage this week, I was struck by how unique this passage is, particularly in the ancient world. I can't think of another description of what a woman ought to be that is anywhere close to this in the ancient world. You might have descriptions of sort of Amazonian warrior women or queens grasping for power. You might also have many descriptions in the ancient world of, of women being minimized and devalued. But here, we have a picture of a woman whose focus is on using her gifts to teach, to care for, to provide for her household that it might flourish, and to be a blessing to the needy around her. But not a woman relegated to minimal or menial tasks or under the foot of her husband. Because of her character and her competence, she is entrusted with significant decision-making and initiative. She is lifted up as a model of godly virtue, strength, and character. As I read this chapter this week, I was thinking of several young women that I know personally who have denied their faith and denied Christianity because they have said the Bible has such a low and degrading view of women. However, most of those complaints and the reasons behind them come from descriptive passages telling us what happened in ugly, sinful events in biblical history. But what happened in a fallen world that the Bible does report, the Bible does not gloss over that, what happened in a fallen world is not the biblical picture of God's created pattern or will. And here in Proverbs 31, we have the fullest picture, I think, of God's description of what He has created a woman to be and called her to be. And far from being trampled or devalued or minimized, her strength and her character, her competence, her godliness play a significant role in the flourishing of her household and the godly training of her children, the care for the vulnerable and the community around her, such that not only her family, but the townspeople in the gates sing her praises. And that's a picture of biblical womanhood. It's also striking, I think, to consider this passage and the insight it provides us into what a marriage marked by the wisdom of Proverbs might look like. There's no hint here of the husband being absent or lazy. He is in the gates, leading with the elders of the land, and yet he's engaged at home, noticing his wife and what she is doing and praising her for it. 
But neither is the husband's leadership domineering or micromanaging. He doesn't need or get a say in everything just because he's the husband. The picture here supports the unique roles and callings God has given husbands and wives in marriage. But that does not come out in a list of restrictions or a rigid authority structure, but in mutual trust and righteousness as they each follow their God and carry out the things He's given them to do, leading to greater joy and greater flourishing for each of them and their household and the community around them as they do what God's called them to do. It's a strikingly beautiful picture of what God has created marriage to be. Well, so far we've seen the blessing of this wife. We've seen the character of this wife. But thirdly, we want to look at verse 30, where we find the heart of this wise wife, the source of her character and blessing. And what we find here is that the source of this woman's blessing is not charm, it is not beauty, but it is her fear of the Lord. And that should not surprise us, of course, because Proverbs 1-7 began this whole book by telling us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Proverbs 9-10 told us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so it only makes sense that this wife of wisdom is guided by that recognition of who God is in His majesty and His holiness. She has that awe of the Lord and worship of the Lord and submission to the Lord that Scripture describes as the fear of the Lord. And it is that fear of the Lord that is the root and the source of her character and wisdom that we've read in this passage. I think this verse, verse 30, warns us and warns all of us how easy it is to take our eyes off the character of the godly woman as what really matters. It tells us that charm is deceitful. We all, I think, know how easy it is for men and women to focus on charm, personality, looks for what would attract us or, or lead us to think that a woman is worthy of attention. But Proverbs says no. Our personality or our looks are no true judge of character. The true judge of the worth and the excellence of a woman, and of course of a man also, is their fear of the Lord and their character. It means that without character and wisdom rooted in the fear of the Lord, good first impressions will not hold up in the challenges and the conducting of real life. Proverbs 11.22 has already made this point in fairly memorable fashion when it declares, like a golden ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. And of course, we apply the same thing to a man. In other words, we look for wisdom in the fear of the Lord because outward charm, beauty, personality may be hiding a pig underneath with no spiritual life or strength of godliness to carry her through. Proverbs adds, not only is charm deceitful because it might mask what really matters, but beauty is vain. The word vain there is the word Ecclesiastes uses. Vanity, it means to fade away or to wither away. Attractive looks only last so long, Proverbs is telling us. 
Any of you know the name Kevin DeYoung? I remember Kevin DeYoung uh, one time uh, reporting how he commented to his wife about his own good looks. And she responded to him, yes, Kevin, you're good looking for a pastor. I'm not sure what that means. But the point that came out of his comment was that even whatever good looks we do have don't last long in the grand scheme of things. And the point of Proverbs, as one commentator puts it, is that a woman's spiritual life gives strength and beauty to the rest of her being. Not looks, but fear of the Lord determines whether a woman will bring blessing and flourishing that is far more precious than jewels. Now, maybe step back from this passage, and I can imagine some of you women are sitting here thinking, this is inspiring. This is what I long to be. I am so encouraged to pursue this. And others of you are thinking, seriously? Wisdom and kindness in what I say, an impressive food preparation routine, making clothes for my whole family, and then making more to sell as a side gig, expertise in real estate acquisition, planting my own vineyard, harvesting expertise, proactive generosity and distributing to the poor, clothed in strength and dignity, rising before dawn and staying up past sunset. I can't even keep cereal in the pantry for my high school boys. I'm ready to curl up in the fetal position at the chaos of my toddlers around me. How am I supposed to fulfill this? So how are we supposed to reflect on a passage like this? How are we supposed to reflect on many passages that lay out the character of godliness? I think about this every time I read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, which list the holiness and godliness that is to characterize an elder in God's church. And when we read these things, we're aware of how far short we fall. So how should we respond? How should we think about these lofty portraits of godliness that we find in Scripture? Well, in two ways, I think. First, we respond by recognizing that this, this high and lofty picture, is what God has created us and called us to be. And that is a glorious truth. God did not create us to to be slops and slobs living for ourselves, each seeking our own good, fulfilling our fleshly desires. No, He gave us a great and a holy calling. He created us and called us to multiply and fill the earth, to work for His purposes and His glory, to reflect His character, to create, to serve, to teach, to love, to bless, to live, to preach Christ. This is a beautiful purpose and a high calling that he has given us. A passage like this is not a death knell to us. It's a beautiful portrait of the significance of what God has created us and called us to be and to pursue before him and of what wisdom that leads to flourishing looks like. It ought to encourage us and hold out for us the beauty of what God has created us and called us to. But of course, second we recognize the great gap that exists between God's created and called and revealed will for us and where we stand by nature in our own sinfulness and brokenness. Paul reminds us that every one of us is born a sinner, seeking our own way, not God's way, turned in on ourselves, carrying out the desires of our flesh and our minds, and so by nature, we are children of wrath. 
By our nature, there is not an inkling of ability or even desire to embody Proverbs 31 in us. Apart from Christ. But as we sneak up on Christmas, as we put manger scenes out in our yards and in our living rooms, don't let the familiarity or the the festive decor of these weeks diminish for one second the glory of what this baby we are celebrating has come to do. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. This is the Lord who sent his spirit to dwell in us through faith that we might be made new creations, that we might be redeemed, that we might be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And so here, as we come to the close of the book of Proverbs, we should return to what we said at the very beginning about how we as Christians should read this book. This book of Proverbs is the word of our covenant God telling us, revealing to us, giving us this gift, showing us how to live according to his character and his creation and his revealed will for us, that we might have blessing and life in his presence. But we find ourselves unable to follow this pattern and this path until we hear the words of 1 Corinthians 1.30, that Christ became for us wisdom from God. Until we hear the words of Colossians 2.3, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Until we hear the promise of Isaiah 11.2, that a Messiah would be born who would come with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Until we find out that that Messiah not only came with the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and the fear of the Lord, But that Messiah went through the cross and rose again and is now at the right hand of his Father that he might send that Holy Spirit to dwell in us if we turn to him by faith. That we might have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us, making us new creations, producing the fruits of the Spirit in us, renewing us in the likeness of God once again in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Yes, our brokenness, infinitude, and the desires of our flesh continue to rear their heads and make their presence known. But in Christ we find redemption in the forgiveness of our sins. And in Christ we receive the Spirit of God. And our hearts are changed from hearts of stone to living hearts that we might more and more embody the character that we find here in the book of Proverbs as we look ahead to that day when the work will be finished and we will be fully restored into his image once again. See, in the end, this isn't a passage of despair. It's a passage of hope and a passage of joy because this is what God made me to be. And this is what God sent his own son to come and redeem me to be and to make me to be by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit in me. So brothers and sisters, as we come to the end of the book of Proverbs, may we fear the Lord. May we listen to his word. May we trust him. May we guard our hearts. May we repent of sin when we see it in us. And above all, may we look to Christ being filled with his spirit 
For he has died and risen again, that we might more and more see the wisdom of Proverbs embodied in us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we thank you for your word. We know that on our own we are lost and wandering, turned in on ourselves. And yet into that, Father, you spoke your word and have laid out for us this portrait, this beautiful picture of the character of God and the will of God for us, of a life of wisdom and the blessing and the flourishing that it brings to us and to our household and to all around us. And oh, Father, you didn't just reveal your will to us. Knowing our weakness and our sinfulness, you sent us your own Son. You sent us Christ, who redeemed us and then sent his Spirit to live in us. And oh, Lord, may we walk by that Spirit. Make us more and more into this image, we pray, for your sake. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.